It is time for the new Dan Vogler 4D Experience Podcast. Are you ready? Buckle in. Let's go for a ride. Calling all astral projectors. Calling all astral projectors. Now it's time for Tales from Beyond the Veil. James Fox. Can you hear me okay? Okay, I wouldn't say I can hear a pin drop, but I can hear you. How about now? That's good. Yeah, it's good. Hello? I'm going to reposition myself, see if I get into a slightly better cell phone here. How's that? All right. All right? Yeah, I guess so. That's, that's, that's fine, as long as, you know, this, this technology is so tricky. You, you, you remember Ali G? Technology. What's it all about? <laughs> <laughs> so you how's it going, that? man? You, yeah. Yeah, Sasha. Sasha Baron yeah, Cohen. Yeah, Sasha Baron Cohen. Oh, my God. My dad turned me on to him in England years ago, like 15 years ago, 16 years ago. Yeah, he's so doing funny. the new bar. Uh, he's doing the new bar right now. I'm excited to see that. She kind of. I, I, I'm just honestly shocked that he hasn't he hasn't been killed. There's some people who do America. I would never do. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, I spent some time in the South. I, I did a film called Pretty Flick. It was on the BP oil spill, and I was in Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and uh, boy, that was an eye opener for me. Why, why? What happened? Well, it just seemed like, in some respects, going back to the 60s. Oh, I see. It was just... Uh, yeah, I mean, we had, you know, we had the first, you know, Amer- uh, African-American, you know, black president. And, and uh, you know, I just was shocked. It was just, it was, it was an eye. I mean, look, I had a great time. We, we felt we made a wonderful movie. I was going back and forth to the South, you know, over, a, over five five years, but I was... And, you know, and I'd think about Sasha Baron Cohen doing some of the stunts he'd do in that neck of the woods. <laughs> Pretty risky stuff. Yeah, he's got anyway, enormous balls. Um, yeah, see that. So you're, ta- you're talking about some pretty risky uh, topics here. Um, it, it, seems like, it seems as though you are – all of your work or most of your work is centered around trying to figure out what's going on up in space, huh? Well, actually I'm trying to figure out what's going right, what's going on right down here on this planet. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, I don't feature any cases in space. I, I, out of space, I, all the cases we feature are right down here on the ground. I mean, you know, in our airspace, but, um, yeah, you know, I, it, this is my, my fourth, fourth film on the topic, but it's the first film where I've, uh, I've gone into, um, well, UFO categories are, are, have been 
sorry, UFO accounts or encounters have been categorized into three different categories. And it was done by a guy named Dr. J. Allen Hynek, who investigated UFOs for the Air Force. He was a scientific advisor uh, for 22 years. And he broke them down into three categories, close encounters of the first kind, close encounters of the second kind, and close encounters of the third kind. And the first kind is when generally someone sees a UFO. Second kind is when someone sees a UFO and the UFO interacts with the environment like Richard Dreyfuss in Close Encounters, how it burned his face, or maybe a photograph or picked up on radar or left ground traces. And then Close Encounter of the third kind is when witnesses claim to see occupants associated with the craft. And this is the first film that I have included those accounts. And I'm acutely aware of what a slippery slope it is. But we focus on extremely credible reports, mass sightings, where there are broad daylight with, with, you know, 50, in some cases, over 100 witnesses. And how did, you, how did you get involved in this? Did you see something? Like, what sparked your interest? I can neither confirm nor deny. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is going to be pretty short. <laughs> no, I... Um, I you know, I generally keep my personal experience out of the equation just because um, it could come across as tainting my uh, objective. But I base everything that I believe today on the interviews I've conducted with high-ranking military and government officials from around the world, uh, from China to Russia, um, South America, um, Africa, Australia, and, of course, all across the United States. And I've personally gone in, in Europe as well, personally gone in, and done these interviews and met with people in a position to know if there are structured craft whizzing around with impunity in our airspace. And, uh, and there, that, that's been confirmed to me um, time and time again. And so I'm just curious, did you, did you see close encounters or something? Like, like where did the fascination begin? Well, quite honestly, it was back in the 90s, kind of the early, probably 93, 94, I had a good friend of mine, this guy, Renee, from high school. And we were really good friends. When we were 18 years old, we, we flew to London, and we bought an old beat-up Fiat 131, and we took a, a road trip from London to Portugal and just had a hoot. We were 18 years old along the way. and We were really close. And... Um, a couple years later, he started telling me about this UFO crash at Roswell, New Mexico. Very little was known at the time because the, the Roswell incident didn't sort of catapult its way in the mainstream until, uh, you know, closer to the 50th anniversary of the, event, of the event, which would have been July of 1997. And uh, I thought he'd lost his bloody mind. I mean, I literally said to myself, well, it's been great knowing this guy. I'm afraid I'm going to have to cut this one loose. And... Um, <laughs> Honestly, I mean, really, I just, I was like, this guy's gone, lost his mind. Simple as that. And it was kind of sad. And, um, and then I was working as, a, as a, uh, an assistant in a production uh, company, a video production company in San Francisco. And there was a guy who was the manager there, a very, a very well-respected guy. I mean, he's very smart. And, and, you know, I looked up to him in, in the production field, and he was my mentor. And I sort of casually kind of jokingly mentioned this to him. 
And he went, oh, yeah, Roswell? Oh, yeah, that, that fully happened. I said, what do you mean that fully happened? He goes, yeah, man, have you looked into it? He goes, the, the military actually announced that it happened. They just retracted their statement. But everyone that was involved primarily in retracting that statement, you know, decades later all said, no, that was not of this earth. So that sort of piqued my curiosity. And then I went to a couple of conventions and I met with some military guys and I offered my services as being a video production guy and an editor and I had a camera to sort of help get the message out. And the next thing I knew, I was making a film on it. And everyone thought I'd lost my mind, just the way I'd looked at myself, my relationship with my dear friend, Renee. And, um, and even my father was a mainstream journalist. My dad's British, and I was born in England. Uh, Charles Fox, Stephen Charles James Fox, our great-great-great-great-grandfather was buried at Westminster Abbey. He was a statesman. And my dad just was like, you know, you've lost your mind, son. You know? And uh, you, you, I think he said the exact words was, you're going down a dead-end road. There's nothing to this. Please don't waste your life. And, of course, being the Taurus I am, I, that sort of drove me even further. Uh, that was probably the, exactly what I needed. And, and um, oh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> and I sold my first film to Discovery Channel. I interviewed uh, such notables as uh, Apollo 14 astronaut and six men to walk on the moon, Edgar Mitchell. And, um, yeah, and that sort of started it all. And I never really intended on doing a follow-up film, but, you know, one thing led to another. And next thing I knew, I was invited to Russia in the 90s to meet with military guys there and cosmonauts. And um, then when I came home from that, I met with Gordon Cooper, Mercury astronaut Gordon Cooper, discussed a, a landing case at Edwards Air Force Base circa 1957. And then I did another film, which is called Out of the Blue. And um, anyway, I mean, I could go on. I, I can go on and on. I don't want to bore your listeners. So, you know, that's basically it. Some of the uh, quotes here, the phenomenon sets a, a new benchmark for disclosure. Louise Elizondo, former director of Pentagon's Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Holy shit. Um, yeah, there's another one. The phenomenon is the most important documentary in human history and one that is destined to help change the course of it. Ernest Klein, who is a buddy of mine, number one New York Times bestselling author of Ready Player One. Um, and Dan Farah produced, he's also a friend of mine through Ernest, and um, so why do you think it's catching on so strong right now? It's number one on uh, iTunes, number one doc. Why do you, you think know, that phenomena is such a phenomenon? Well, we got about four and a half years into production. And the, the, uh, I, I kind of knew there's peaks and valleys with the UFO you know, phenomenon. It, it's, it's of interest for a while. It has its sort of popular moments, and then it goes back down. And 2008 was a pretty popular time. The British government was releasing files. Uh, the French government was releasing files, and there was lots of pressure. Other countries as well, South America, um, and that was the last time it was. You know, it was a, there was a resurgence of interest in a very popular case called the Phoenix Lights case. And I sort of jokingly said during, you know, probably the fourth year into production, I said, oh, "Well, you know, these things kind of the interest sort of level comes and goes, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of incident that'll take place, and that will be a." you know, a great way to end the movie. And little did I know that it was going to be splattered on the front page of the New York Times, the revelation of a secret UFO Pentagon program that was, you know, started from Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, who's a household name in the United States, and he's the one that got Senator uh, Obama, then Senator Obama to run for president. 
Um, and so for a household name such as his to, to have launched this secret UFO program and then end up on the front page of the New York Times was a very big deal. And then what followed that was eventually the DOD basically admitting those, 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 the evidence was, was the cockpit recordings were real. Um, and then they officially released them, I think, just this year in April. So that was big news, and it got the attention of a lot of people, like, hey, maybe we've been poo-pooing the topic that there is something to it. And I'll, I'll add to this a couple of things. One is, um, you know, there was a very deliberate effort back in 1953 called the Robertson Panel. It was basically a result of, if you've seen the movie, I'm not sure if you have or not, but if you've seen the movie, there's a very... Yeah, I just finished uh, watching it. It's awesome. Yeah, so the 1952 flyover, two consecutive weekends of July over the Capitol building in the White House. And they scrambled right. jets, and they intercepted these things, and they circled around. They actually, like, literally circled around one of the fighter jets. And, uh, and, and um, that was a very significant event, and it got the attention of the press. Um, there was a very famous uh, uh, news conference with the general, um, General John Sanford, in uniform addressing the nation. Um, but behind the scenes, they were freaking out. Like, well, how do we, what do we do? We, you know, we can't tell the public this isn't happening. So they hired a sort of high-level think tank called the Robertson Panel in very early 1953. How do we deal with this problem? Because um, that's how the Air Force looks at it, as a problem. They don't look at it as like, you know, the, the implications of making contact or the fact that we're not alone in the universe. You've got structured craft of unknown origin whizzing around sensitive airspace with impunity to fly rings around our fastest jets. That's a problem, and uh, whether they're hostile or not. And so, you know, you can't disclose what you know without exposing your vulnerabilities. So this Robertson panel geniusly came up with this concept of ridicule. And so they said, look, you know, you can't necessarily deny it. There's too many credible people reporting these things, but you can adopt a policy of ridicule. And that happened in 1953, and it was one of the most effective campaigns that, that, that ever took place. Next sort of came to a halt in, in, you know, as time went on, but in, it, certainly on the front page of the New York Times, that, that's when that was sort of the nail in the coffin of that effort. Uh, yeah, man, that was... Um... I mean that the when they flew over uh, Eisenhower's White House, right? That's when it happened. I and, think it was Truman. Uh, was it Truman? Um, yeah. Well, I, then Eisenhower gave the whole speech about um, 1961. Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. Beware the industrial military complex. Um, yeah. He okay. So I I think that. He, there is a connection to Eisenhower, though. I don't know what your research is, but... Um... Oh, definitely. I mean, there's, you know, well, look, there's a lot of disinformation out there. And your, your audience definitely needs to know that. There's a reason why mainstream media has been reluctant to, you know, tread the waters. I mean, there, once you separate wheat from the chaff and you really focus in on that 10 or 12% of truly credible, inexplicable encounters which is what we do in the film. And we had the help of, you know, the likes of Jacques Vallée and, and um, a, a, just a whole slew of very seasoned researchers working diligently behind the scenes to, to put really the most credible aspects of this, of this phenomenon uh, in, in front of us. 
because that's what's required. And, and um, so that was our sole objective, was to create the seminal feature-length documentary film, not as an effort to go around prophesizing, trying to get people to join our cult of believers, but simply by uh, putting the credible evidence on the table and allowing the audience to make up their own minds. And I think that we were very successful in doing this, and I think it's one of the reasons why uh, the film is being so beautifully received uh, is because we don't put a bunch of wacky, crazy, you know, stuff that we can't prove in a court of law uh, out there. Yeah, Jack, uh, Jacques Vallée, for the uh, listeners, he's the French scientist from Close Encounters, uh, if you guys watch the movies. It's really cool to actually see him in the, in the doc. Um, you, you, you interview um, some amazing people. It's quite an ensemble. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you have some very um, high-ranking individuals. Um, now, what's it, what's one of the, one of the, um, interviews you had was, uh, with this fighter pilot. I forget his name, but I saw him on Joe Rogan. David, Com- whole... Commander, Commander David Fravor. Yeah. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a, a fun interview because he seemed like genuinely like excited about it, you know, <laughs> about the fact yeah. that he was that close yeah. to a UFO. And, yeah. um, well, did and, you notice? Did you, yeah. did, I'm sorry to interrupt. Let me just add to that. Did you notice that we bookend two dramatic, really exciting encounters? One at the front of the film with a uh, colonel in the Air Force, World War II pilot who turned out to be public spokesman for Project Blue Book, which is the Air Force's arm, investigatory arm of, of UFOs. Uh, that was Colonel William Coleman. And then you've got the same dramatic encounter uh, that one the first one was 1955 the other one was 2004 off the coast of san diego but you listen to the similarities and the way they described the technology and how this craft performed you know and i i really hope that the audience recognizes that we juxtapose it to what we put one at the front one at the back one is 1955 the other one's 2004 and their description of the flight characteristics of the technology is the same you know, 70 plus years later. So people that have that argument, Hmm. that's another reason why we covered some of the history early as the 40s is that, look, you know, if you think it's some sort of skunk work program today, well, it certainly wasn't, you know, 70 years ago, and they're describing the same thing. Um, What I find fascinating is um, the question of um, how much of this stuff how much of these UFOs are our reverse engineered technology where from some of these crashes where <clears throat> specifically you have these, <clears throat> these UFOs that like the guy that, that um, the fighter pilot that was on Rogan where um, it was able to track their exact coordinates, where they were coming from, where they were going um, yeah, red, like, it read, like, were, like it read his mind. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like it read his like it read his mind, and and um, or it was, it just knew because it, it knows the ins and outs because it's also military. You know, they, they, there's that there's that aspect of it 
where you hear the um, the tales about how they reverse engineered, um, like at Roswell from the crash, they they you know they they made fucking bulletproof vests, you know, Kevlar microwave oven, you know, they they took the UFO chair and they which um, there's rumors that uh, you know the 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 pilot has a psychic link to the chair, where that's yeah. how. So um, you got to remember. Yeah, you got to remember. You got to remember the source of those claims. Um, okay, you're dealing with. You, you've got people like you know, former deputy assistant secretary of defense for intelligence, who's very high up on the food chain and intelligence um, community, uh, Christopher Mellon, and he's like, "Look, that technology wasn't even on the drawing board." You've got. I'm not saying definitively right now that they have not successfully reverse engineered. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I have not personally seen the evidence, enough of the evidence myself that would allow me to accept that. You could look at it a little bit like, I believe Roswell happened, but is that the equivalent possibly of handing a toaster to a Neanderthal that they figured out? Do you know what I mean? Like the people that I've talked to said that they couldn't even find an engine on that UFO they recovered in 47. You know, it was just a bunch of this really incredibly super strong material that without, without a motor that they could tell. I mean, that, but again, it's, it's, it's so much conjecture and speculation, and there's been so much disinformation swirling around. The only thing definitive that I feel comfortable concluding is that their initial, the military's initial, uh, you know, press release of having recovered a flying saucer is accurate. Um, whether, whether they've successfully reverse engineered that or not, I simply think the jury's still out on that one. I really do. And I've spoken to some very high-level people about it. I'd like to think that they have. And look, if they have, that itself is a huge story. Because whatever it is, it's not, certainly not flying around on jet A fuel. I mean, that could solve the climate crisis. You know, that could solve global pollution. I'd love to think that that's the case, but have they really kept this technology that much under wraps all this time? Yeah, I mean, it seems like that's at the crux of um, that's at the maybe at the center of why they keep this stuff secret from the public. Is I mean, that, could you imagine um, world domination of like? Imagine if you had a craft that was weaponized, that could get from, like, you know, go sick, literally traverse the entire United States in a couple of seconds. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, you know, think about the implications of that. I mean, why wouldn't they have it out? And just the, and the concept of just figuring out how these things move, you know, the, the whatever, the zero, zero point gravity, whatever, Tesla technology, you know, whatever. Well, however the fuck these, these, things move electromagnetically figuring out just that uh could be you know free energy for the whole world like you're saying so why keep that a secret you know follow the money man uh that's why you keep it a secret we're still stuck with uh, engines and running on oil and we're still we're starting to just get into electric car you know it's like it's uh there's a reason that we're kept in the stone age um i mean look you, you know, and that yeah, go ahead. that might 
that might be the case, but it also might not be the case. I mean, that's speculation. I mean, until we actually sure. have a military officer or, you know, a, an engineer with skunk work saying, here's the technology we've managed to successfully, you know, but whatever, he violates his security oath and he discloses. I'm just telling you that I personally haven't seen enough right. evidence so I feel comfortable saying this is what I believe is going on. I, I just haven't. I'm not to say that. No, oh, I, I don't. I don't know what's going on. Who knows what's going yeah. on? Yeah, but I'm just—it's yeah. all speculation. I, yeah, um, but, I, but I tell you what, you're right. I mean, that that technology is not whizzing around on jet fuel. I'll tell you that much. There's no yeah. doubt about that. And how the hell can something accelerate from a standstill to out of sight in the blink of an eye, without everything on the inside of the cockpit becoming juiced? Right. So, you know, it's 90-degree angle turns, I mean, all that stuff. But, I, you know, an, another element, I don't know if you, if you remember this or not, and I find this incredibly fascinating, is that this is sort of the first time that we've explored the potential intelligence behind this phenomenon, you know, and you look at what right. they do, but you also look at what they don't do, you know, um, Going over those super sensitive nuclear weapons facilities, decade right. after decade after decade after decade, having that level of confirmation by the former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, that you know these things are shutting off our nukes, they're literally flying over these highly secure installations, they're all seen, and then up to ten missiles all go to a no-go situation, and then off they would go. <laughs> I mean. I literally had a loss control officer, this guy, Robert Salas, look at me and say, well, what the hell do you think that means? He's like, as far right. as I'm concerned, it's the equivalent of taking matches out of the hands of a baby. What about the school, <coughs> landing, the school landing cases, the Westall, 1966? There were over 250 people standing out there in, the, uh, you know, in morning recess with the teachers and all the students in broad daylight, watching yeah. this disc whip around up top and then playing cat and mouse with some light aircraft and then landing behind some trees, and then the students jumping over the fence and getting within 10, 12 feet of it, that's a remarkable case. Well, that's, okay, that's, 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 that's a very special one. I want to get into that one in a second. But you, you, you talked about the, the new um, – Did I lose you? Hello? Are we back? Oh, thank God. I thought I lost you. I thought you got abducted or something. <laughs> okay, good. You're here. <laughs> well, I heard a sound. And then you, you heard a sound. And exactly. And I don't... whizzed off. <laughs> yeah. So, so, these things are so goddamn tricky. I, sometimes I feel like whenever I'm doing these things and I, and I start to get a little too close to, to, the, to some you know, top secret information or something, I feel like the fucking black helicopters triangulating with your fucking cup. They cut me off, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So what I was say, what I was, what yeah. we were talking about was the, the nuclear connection. Okay. So yes, I, I find it I find it fascinating that that the the UFOs are are even are finding these secret bases. A, B, they're they're well, I don't know. They're probably following the nuclear signature or something and then they um they deactivate it um and it may and and they they de deactivate the warheads except i'm going to hold on to that thought for a second but um 
because you have another thing that happens in doc as well where something else happens but just on the track of the ufos um turning off the warheads and i'm wondering if in those scenarios uh are they uh deactivating them or are they um um pulling the energy out of them are are they is it, is it like a gas station you know are they yeah. you know like kind of like um that some people believe the the pyramids um the the ufos often come by the pyramids and, they, and a lot of people think that the pyramids themselves are uh organic um uh power stations and you've been, um, you've, been you've been watching you've been watching a lot of ancient aliens yeah man of course i have I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh i love this stuff but the one thing that happened in your doc what ha- what happened in your in your doc which i thought was fascinating was they in it was ukraine and the ufo flew over the the power plant uh or the um the base and it activated the fucking yeah. nukes and yeah. they and they were about to go off they were about to, to yeah, make, that was uh, pretty, you know launch pretty, and then they had to hand they had to um, do it, yeah. um, undo it by hand. So, yeah. what do you think that says? Like, what? What's, what's, oh, I you know. know. You know uh, that you guys are not in control. And look, I'll tell you right. another case. And this one, this one didn't end up in the movie, but I almost put it in. It was just too much content. There was a an Atlas missile launch with a dummy warhead, tipped nuclear warhead on the on the on the tip. On the tip. I want to say it was circa 1965 at Vandenberg Air Force Base. And there was a guy who was an optics engineer. He was responsible for the filming of this. And he had, I think, a couple of long-range camera lenses. One was shorter, one was, one was closer. They would track it as it was moving thousands and thousands of miles an hour. <clears throat> the guy's name was, um, I think, Robert Jacobs. And he did, they did the launch and he filmed it and then he had the film footage canisters developed. He gets a phone call from the higher ups at the base and uh, they said, they set a meeting a couple days later and they sit down in this room and there's the projector and there's the footage from the launch a day or two earlier. And um, there were a couple of guys in suits. He didn't know where they were from. And they pressed play, and there's the launch. There it is. And you see the Atlas rocket. And then a couple of seconds into it, this unknown disc-shaped craft flies into frame, circles the tip of this dummy warhead, and fires beams at it and goes around all the way until it falls off and plummets out of the sky. And they pressed stop on the projector, and they turned to Mr. Jacobs, and they said, Sir, uh, were you guys messing around up there? And he said, No, sir. He said, What was that? And Jacobs says, Well, it looks to me like we got a UFO. And they, uh, these two men in suits, basically, they cut that section of the film footage out, and uh, off it went, never saw the light of day. But there are accounts like that as well where that were actually these, these cases were captured on film, uh, you know. And there was that landing case I was telling you about at Edwards Air Force, again, captured on film. And if you listen to 
Harry Reid, Senator Reid in the film, I, I bring up one of this. I mean, could you imagine a piece of official United States Air Force footage, filmed footage of, of any of these incidences? And I bring this up to Senator Reid, and he said, I said, uh, the, you know, the, the film footage was handed over, uh, developed film footage to a, a courier jet that came in from Washington, and he finished my sentence and says, yeah, it was never seen or heard from ever again. And I'm like, yeah, is this kind of stuff there? And he goes, yes, it's all there. And I said, hey, you mean to tell me that there's evidence that hasn't seen the light of day? And he's like, most of the evidence hasn't seen the light of day. And that astonishes me to have that level of validation. It's kind of what we've all expected all these decades, and we've heard these stories. But to get it validated from a guy who, who launched an internal investigation within the Pentagon, um, you know, it, it's just astonishing to me. And that's something I would really like to see uh, this, this film trigger some further government transparency on the topic and have some more evidence like that come out. Because I think that would make, obviously, as you could imagine, a huge difference uh, in the public opinion of what's really going on. Yeah. I mean, there, okay, there are a few things about the documentary that I, that were, I found uh, really scary, actually. <laughs> One of them was, um, I, I, maybe I'm incredibly naive about uh, nukes, but I thought that the last <laughs> nuke that anyone used was uh, Hiroshima, World War II, and that basically kept everybody at bay, and everyone's just been stockpiling them in case we have to have another one of those. But no, you, you have a map of the last several decades, um, uh, starting in World, during World War II, and the escalation of nuclear activity has increased a hundredfold. They're just popping off nukes like it's goddamn Fourth of July out there. I know. I know. It's unbelievable. I know. So, you know what's crazy? <clears throat> what? No, go ahead. Well, we, we, I was editing. With, there was a gentleman involved, um, Lance Mungia. He did a film called uh, Third Eye uh, Spy, I think it is. But in any case, he was working editing with me as well. And he's all, you know, this is interesting. Listen to this sighting here in 57. And then look at this sighting here in 64. And then there's these other sightings. He goes, you know, we should really get a map and take a look at this. So we did. And we started looking at the map. And then we started looking at all these sightings that were occurring right around Trinity site and where they were doing the Manhattan Project and that whole area. There were massive UFO reports in and around those hotspot areas. I mean, we were taking out the map and doing the pins in the map. It's going, my God, Socorro, Holloman, near Trinity site, like all these sightings that we started putting together, like, wow, this is interesting. There must be some connection. And, you know, you hear these things that you read about these things, but when you're actually doing it and uh, there's something tangible of taking a map out and pinpointing these different sightings that we're covering in the movie and making that connection. And then when we met with Senator Reid, as I pointed out earlier, he, he talks about one of the more astonishing aspects is the interaction with the nukes. Um, and then we realized, you know, I think six years into the production, maybe maybe six and a half years into production, 
we got to cover this ass. We got to cover this angle in the film. We, we contacted a guy named Robert Hastings, who's the king of, of UFOs and nukes. I mean, he's researched it for decades, <clears throat> and he made all of his research available to us. And that is just a you know um, an astonishing, astonishing aspect of of this phenomenon. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. Is the level of interest, and I this is pure speculation, but is it possible? that the first detonation at Trinity site in 1945 got their attention? Are they interdimensional? Maybe. I don't know. But there seems to be a connection there. Well, the, the, um, the ancient alien theory is that, you know, they, the, uh, they, the aliens, the UFOs, they traverse the fabric of space-time. And that's like, you know, they're like fish in the ocean, and every time we nuke something, we're polluting the ocean, you know, and, and they don't like that. It's, and, and uh, it, 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 you know, we're, we're destroying atoms at a molecular level, and they can feel those vibrations out there in the ocean of, this, of, the, of space. Um, and um, it's dangerous. It's it's like you're saying. It's kids not with it's not kids with a hammer. It's kids with a fucking nuke. I know. Um, I know. It's and, pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah. I know. It is crazy. You know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, gave I, me a, yeah. it gave me a little comfort when I started learning about a lot of it. You know. And let let me just say something. You know. Look, I'm sure there's a lot of fascinating material uh, in in that cable TV show on History Channel ancient aliens but uh, we're we set out to do some more of the 60 minutes meets ufos in this film and i'm not trying to put down that entertainment show at all there might be a lot of wonderful very informative information in there but it's certainly not the type of show that we were trying to do do you know what i mean like we're trying to get the attention oh you guys are you guys are specific which i appreciate you know yeah ancient aliens a lot of spec there's a lot of speculation you know this yeah. this is a documentary. It's you've taken real footage. You've taken um, eyewitness accounts, and um, it's it's all you know, which I really appreciate. It's it's that's why I think it. it there is no real speculation. It's it's uh, there's, there's people basically telling it how they saw it. And it's it, not it's just, you know, Joe Schmo. It's not, it's not just Joe Schmo. I mean, there's like, there's, every, there's people yeah. in the military and there's people all the way high up in the, you know, the government. It's like you have senators we, talking about it. We've managed to create, out of luck and tenacity and talent, the perfect storm. You know, we've got a mainstream producer, Dan Farah, who just did the blockbuster hit, Ready Player One with Steven Spielberg, you know, pulling out his Rolodex and really, you know, he's putting his, his reputation on the line as far as I'm concerned. I, I think it's a wise thing that he's doing, but still he's doing it uh, and helping mainstream this topic and, and really taking this film out. You know, we've got people like Christopher Mellon, uh, Senator Harry Reid, you know, uh, scientists Jacques Vallée, Gary Nolan, um, really high-level people participating in, in a UFO doc, and I, I find that really, really cool. And I think that's a you know, pretty good indication that, A, the public seems like it's ready. Um, they want the truth. 
and look, I'm not going to sit there and say that, you know, the truth, what is the truth, but uh, it's a very exciting time, and we might have just reached a tipping point, and I think that this stock could be a catalyst for that, and uh, I'm very excited. I really am. I think the, I think the implications are tremendous. And, on, and honestly, this is one of those topics that transcends politics and religion and borders, and people of all walks of life are just interested, whether they believe it or not, in knowing more about who we are and how we fit in the universe and, and uh, are we alone? Is there compelling evidence to suggest that we're not alone? And I think it's just a really exciting time. So um, I've always been fascinated by, uh, by the moon. And I think that um, one, one of the theories is that, you know, because I, I, I love Kubrick and uh, the shining, you know, and then and there's that whole conspiracy theory about, uh, you know, NASA tapped Kubrick to recreate the, uh, the moon landing. And, you know, there's, God damn it, there's a lot of conspiracies going on. I, I tend to think all of the above. Like, I tend to think, yes, he did that because they landed on the moon and they found some crazy shit there. You know, it's like... You know, I, I tend to believe the, all of the above. That way I cover all my bases. And so but I think I was pretty close to the sixth man to walk on the moon. In fact, I went to his house a couple of times. We, we, we hung out together on many occasions. Spoke on the phone yeah. very often. Uh, Edgar Mitchell is the sixth guy to walk, Apollo 14. But I also went to, like, you know, I, I got to know Buzz Aldrin sister, Faye Ann Potter. I was good friends with her. I almost got a sit-down interview with Buzz in the late 90s about some of his encounters. <clears throat> and um, I've had detailed accounts of, of detailed accounts. Like I close my eyes and I can recite and tell you exactly what it was like to land on the surface of the moon, according to Edgar Mitchell. Looking back on this, on this uh, lunar surface and looking at Earth rise and putting his hand up and blocking out this little blue marble suspended in the vacuum of space and the epiphany that he experienced flying back in that three-day period uh, from the moon, and um, the very distinct sense of interconnectedness that he that he felt, and all of those things, and uh, and listening to the you know the impact it had on on, on these astronauts, and um, and there's so much evidence uh, of things left on the moon, detectable evidence, moon rocks, that sort of thing that all had come back. So I, I'm personally not. Uh, a believer in, in, the, in the moon hoax, landing hoax. I, I believe we actually went to the moon. But I did bring this up one time. I don't know, there was a very famous incident where this guy, like, basically, I don't think he assaulted, uh, who was the guy, I'm sorry, I'll think, Buzz Aldrin, walking out of a building, and he's holding a Bible, and he's trying to get Buzz Aldrin to put his hand Yeah, that guy. Yeah, Buzz popped him, him in the face. face. Buzz Aldrin popped him in the face. <laughs> Fucking rat. He's like, you know, he's talking to his sister, Fayette, about it. She's like, you know, these guys were, like, really put their lives on the line, this whole Apollo program. It was a monumental, you know, accomplishment. The whole world was watching, and not one NASA employee has ever come forward saying there was anything to do with the hoax. But I brought this up at the time with Edgar Mitchell, and he said, well, he said, you know, James, I wouldn't be surprised, but I can't confirm this, he said, we were up there, you know, we had no viewfinder, we had these Hasselblad cameras, 
with gar- basically gardening gloves on. The whole world was watching. It was a ex- huge, huge effort. And the public wanted to see some footage. Uh, you know, he kind of implied without saying, like, maybe there was some stuff that they did just in case the other stuff didn't turn out, you know, based on the real thing, That's as far as he went with it. But in terms of, it, you know, whether we actually went to the moon, I have zero doubt we went to the moon. Yeah, I tend to... I tend to think that um, it's exactly what you just said, that we went there and um, just in case, because there was a space race, they wanted to have some, you know, really good Hollywood-looking landing footage, you know. But there's so many, that has become such a, a rabbit hole, you know, just because that idea exists. Um that there was a recreation, and then to lay on to layer on top of uh, actually getting them getting to the moon and you know what they found there and and maybe uh, there I remember in the dock it was around 1969 where they kind of closed up shop right they were just like nothing to see here <laughs> we're we're not we're not going back to the moon and the uh, UFOs are just swamp gas. Like I, I feel like around the time that they went to the moon, they found some crazy shit there, and they decided, well, maybe we should. Um, well, here's like well, here's the problem. Yeah, here's the problem, and you might very well be right, you might not be, but here's the problem I have with that. We've got all these astronauts, and not one of them, not one, has come forward and said that's the case. Not only that. We have not one credible source at NASA who's come forward and said that was the case. We have not one credible piece of video footage. They all had cameras with them. Do you think they would have all taken that story to their graves? I don't. I just don't. I mean, I, I really don't believe that. I'm not sitting there saying whether there are structures or not structures on the moon. I don't know. But right. if, if they encountered something that was artificial on the moon, that would have come out. I, I'm absolutely convinced of it. I mean, look at, they couldn't keep Roswell a secret. They couldn't keep UFOs a secret, you know. Because people right. say all the time, well, oh, if, this, if these things were real, then surely the world would know about it. I'm all, everybody knows about UFOs. Everybody knows about flying saucers. Just about everybody knows about Roswell and Area 51. Some people chose not to believe it because it's been ridiculed and discredited and debunked. And there's been so much obfuscation over the years that people don't know what to believe. But as someone who's dug their teeth into this, and I'll be the first one to admit, look, man, I'm, <clears throat> I'm doing documentaries on UFOs, landings, and close encounters of the third kind. So I'm not, I'm not going to shy away from a crazy-sounding story. And if I came up with anything credible that I could back up with tangible evidence or compelling testimony, I'd be the first person to tell you, hey, you know what? There's structures on the moon. But I have not heard anything credible. But I'm not <clears throat> sitting there telling you about the case. Let me ask you a question. Have you seen anything? Have you seen any UFOs? I had, I had an unusual encounter when I was 20 with my girlfriend, Lisa Reinhardt. Um, okay. And it was not one of those definitive, like, oh, my God, you know, it's a spaceship. But it was something that was very unusual and that, that truly baffled the both of us. And we still talk about it years and years later. So 
you know, that that's the extent of, of my I don't base any of my my personal viewpoints or my position on the phenomenon on any of my on, on that. Do you know what I mean? Like I and I focus on very unambiguous UFO encounters because I feel like otherwise it could so easily be misidentified something else. You know, but when you got someone like a David Fravor flying, uh, you know, one of the one of the Navy's fastest fighter jets, and comes right. and you know, you know plays cat and mouse with an object with no wings, no tail, no exhaust vents, no visible means of propulsion, making no sound, it can accelerate from a standstill to out of sight in the blink of an eye. Right angle turns at high speed. I mean, that's like okay, this this is pretty well identified. It was picked up on radar. They had visual confirmation radar confirmation, and they captured it on their video cams on the cockpit. So that is a very compelling encounter, right? Those are the encounters yes. that, 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 need, that we need to really stick our teeth into. Um, I hope so, I'm not boring you, know, you today. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to pop your bubble or anything. I really hope you realize that. Oh, you're not popping anything, pal. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm leaving all the... I'm leaving all the pop and the buzz. Buzz does all the popping. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but I, I, um, he, he, I, uh, I mean, God, dude, I, I'm, you're not boring me at all. I can talk about this forever, but I, 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 don't, I we should, I, I maybe have, okay, so I, I, uh, I do this section on my show called Tales from Beyond the Veil, um, and sometimes I do whole shows, you know, that I dedicate to Tales Beyond the Veil, and um, it's because simply because I've had so many um, experiences that um, were UFO related. And, and my guests who are often, you know, artists um, who are sensitive to the, uh, the otherworldly often have stories. So I was like, you know, screw it. I'm just going to do a whole, whole podcast on this stuff sometimes. So um, you want to hear some of these stories, man? I don't know if you're still collecting, yeah, you know. I do want to hear it, but let me ask you, I just have to, a quick question because I, we didn't get, because of COVID, we didn't get our theatrical release. We didn't get the premiere, the red carpet premiere with all the, you know, all the people and the shared stories. Yeah. I want to hear from you, if you wouldn't mind, since it's fresh, what did you think of the film and how is it different from what you've seen? Right. Um, I... I really enjoyed the film. I really enjoy this category um, simply because I have had many experiences, and um, I think that there's definitely something to it. And I and I appreciate that um, there's a lot of uh, disclosure going on right now. Um, and I think it's different because. Um, all of the uh, encounters are, you know, categorically uh, recognized by top officials, and um, or you know, they or they were seen by many, many, many people. Um, so it's it's like, go ahead, try to debunk that, pal. It's like it's like, a, I mean, you know, it's 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 a lo- it's a lot of evidence that that I think people are going to have to swallow you know um so do you do you think this would be a good a good film to present to a skeptic (laughs) absolutely i mean i think it'll uh, raise a million more questions um but i I think that um 
it'll at least make that person out there who says, ah, oh, it's all a bunch of swamp gas, um, you know, they, they have to take pause. And if, if they see their, you know, top officials, you know, declaring otherwise, um, even, even something like Roswell where, there's, where, where they've, uh, you know, retracted what they said, and they said, actually, yeah, we were, that was something otherworldly. That was not a weather balloon. Um, I think it's interesting. I think that it's interesting that this stuff is coming out now. You know, it's like it's everywhere. Like that guy's story was on Rogan. You know, they're talking about, they're, they're talking about your, you know, doc, your doc yeah, on Fox News. I mean, you can't get more mainstream yeah. than that, man. Yeah, you, you know, it's really funny. Um, you yeah. know, it's really funny. Okay, so. Probably in the 90s when this whole thing came to a head, especially at the 50th anniversary of Roswell, I think the military, I think they thought they got away with it. I really do. After 97, 98, 99, it kind of fizzled out a little bit. Like there was that whole effort by the Clinton administration, the Rockefeller Initiative. They were going after Roswell. You had the 50th anniversary. You had some new witnesses coming forward. People were still alive, you know, at the 50th anniversary. Then it was the 60th anniversary. Then it was the 70th anniversary, and, like, everyone was pretty much dead. And I honestly believe that they thought they got away with it. But I'm laughing now because I didn't honestly think that I was going to hit Roswell because it's such a hot potato issue. But I'm laughing because we decided inadvertently when we were doing – the Rockefeller Initiative during the Clinton administration, that was the case that, that Mr. Rockefeller asked Mr. President Clinton to go after. So we had to do Roswell, which we did. And I'm really glad that we did it. I was a little worried that, you know, Not yet. the more you know, mainstream people like you know, Senator Reid and stuff might get a little cold feet or trepidation being associated with something that, t- that touches Roswell. Because think about it. You're talking about the potential story of an alien spaceship crashing in the desert. I mean, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, it's one thing to see an identified object or encounter one and play cat and mouse in a fighter jet, but when you start talking about something that crashes, potentially has bodies, that, that's kind of a next-level story. So I'm kind of laughing right now because, you know, this film is getting a lot of mainstream attention, and it deals with Roswell, so they might be thinking, oh, shoot, we got to do this all over again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The, the bodies, man, the bodies, some of those I stories where I, I've, I've never, I've never seen, I've never seen an alien. I've seen plenty of UFOs, plenty of them. Um, and, and I guess I've had the second kind. Um, but um, the stories that you have, where that that sheriff or or that the the, the deputy who saw um, the the little men walking around and the kids who saw the the uh, sound like a gray alien with the big black eyes staring at him and telling him that technology is a that they're going down the wrong road with it. Um, I uh, I had a I had uh, a buddy on the this show. Um, Ryan Hurst, who plays Beta on The Walking Dead, he's the only one that actually said that he woke up one night, he was having a crazy dream, and 
some kind of astral projection situation. He woke up and he actually saw a gray alien standing in his doorway, you know, staring at him. And um, he, uh, I mean, <laughs> you may want to talk to him about that. But um, that's the only person I've ever interviewed that actually said that they saw an alien. Um, and uh, but you want to you want to hear some of these uh, these UFOs? I want to hear your best. I want to hear your best. My best. I want to hear your best. I hear your best one. I want to hear the one that if you were standing at a podium in front of a large audience, which which incident would you share? You've got one shot. I got one shot, man. Um, okay, I'll, I'll tell, <laughs> Make I'll it tell good. You, I'll tell you the two most interesting. Um, so I was out in uh, Sulphur Springs, and, I, and um, I was doing this, like, zen retreat. So I, I wasn't on any drugs. You weren't allowed to do anything. You were, I, I, had, I didn't have my phone. Um, and I was, uh, it was like basically a, a, a week-long retreat where, um, you know, it was just like a self-reflection thing. So I'm in this cabin in the middle of, in the middle of Sulphur Springs, and, well, I'm starting to feel weird right now talking about it. So um, I, it's like around 4 a.m., and I, I, don't, I, I don't sleep with any clothes on, so I... Um, I just I just sense that there's something outside of the cabin, and I wake up and I put all my clothes on because I think I'm going to go outside, you know, to investigate. Put my shoes on, everything. You, I, got, your, you got your compass, your flashlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I got my <laughs> hunting hat, <laughs> and I so the, I go to the I go to the front door, and. <laughs> There's this little, uh, like a little uh, curtain in the front window of the front door. So I, I push it past this little window in the in the door, and I look outside, and I look up, and I shit you not, right above, floating above, um, my cabin was. It looked like a goddamn convention of those same kind of ships you would see in Close Encounters, the circular ships with the many lights. Looks like a goddamn you know, very, uh, like, just tech all over it, you know. It, it just, I, I, I thought I was watching this, you know, a Spielberg movie. Did it look like it a was chandelier? A, did it look like a chandelier? Or it looked like, like they were all disc-like. Um, they okay. were all disc-like. But look, there were so many of them. There was at least ten of them floating up there. And it was like they were having a convention. And how big? How big? Could you give me any indication of the size? They were as big as the ones that were in Close Encounters. They were so fucking big, big to have big enough to have occupants. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 Okay! 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 They were big, and it looked like they were Did all get- kind of communicating with each other, all the lights flashing. I had, I, listen, I didn't, I, I didn't have a, I didn't have my phone with me. I had nothing with me. I didn't have a, I, every, you give everything away. I gave my fucking phone away at the beginning of the retreat. And so I'm looking up at this thing, and the whole thing lasted 30 seconds. I, I look up, I say, holy f- shit, in my mind, oh my God, you know. 
And all of, as soon as I think that, all of the ship's lights change to, I think it was like purple. Like they were all different colors. And then suddenly, as soon as I thought that, they all turned purple and tilted toward me. You understand? Mm-hmm. As soon as mm-hmm. I thought that, I immediately think, oh, God, that's it. I'm going to get abducted. I'm never going to get seen again. Just like that guy in your fucking in the documentary. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 I have this just horrible feeling like, oh, my God, that's it. I, I, I'm done. At that point, it's like the Matrix. Suddenly, I'm flying backwards onto my bed. I land horizontally onto the bed, and I'm out. I'm asleep. And I wake up the next morning to my alarm going off, the, you know, and I'm wearing all the clothes. I do not. I'm wearing, I'm exactly where I was, where I landed. And I do not sleepwalk. I've never slept walked. <laughs> um, yeah. I do not know how to explain that only that I told other people I was like holy shit and and the people that were um, the uh, the instructors there were like oh yeah we see fucking UFOs all the time oh really yeah you know it's really funny I was interviewing this guy you know he was a Northwest Airlines pilot Trig and uh, he had a group he he was he was one of the witnesses for the 1997 Phoenix Lights case, or otherwise there was right, a right. massive UFO flyover. And you uh, really pragmatic guy, down-to-earth grounded, not sensational, not hyperbole, just so grounded. And, like, just getting the guy to go on camera was a, just took so much, like, please, you know. And uh, we did the interview, and at the end, he goes, ah, oh, there's something else. And I said, what? He goes, ah, oh, there's, there's Something. No, never mind. Oh no, no. What? He goes. Well, no. I could just tell he had this internal struggle because he knew, as what a pragmatic guy this guy was, the pilot. He knew what the reaction of the general public was going to be when he shared this bit of information. But I put my foot down and I insisted that he told me. And. um, And he said, "Oh God!" I had to pry it out of him, right? The crowbar was like, he goes, oh, son of a bitch, yeah, the, the damn thing communicated with me. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? He goes, yeah, he said it telepathically communicated. He said, he, as soon as he thought something, like he was scared, it was like, we're not going to harm you. We're not here to harm wow. you. And he put that in his word. And I could tell, like, he did not want to share that part because he knew it sounded nuts. But he told me that, and it was so funny. I never put I didn't put that part in the movie because, out of respect to him, I knew he didn't want that part of the movie. But, but uh, you know, I've heard those accounts so many times when people say, I was scared, or I thought this, or I thought that, and it responded immediately. There's a really funny encounter, like, description of an encounter that took place in the 70s. It's called the Allagash 4, I believe, or it could be the Allagash 5. I think it's the Allagash 4, upstate New York area. And yeah. uh, there were, of these guys, these campers, they were out, you know, at night on a lake in the middle of, of the wilderness, and they, you know, they had this, like, campsite, and they had a fire going, and they jumped in a canoe, and they were going to go do some 
some fishing, and they're out in this canoe. I think there's four of them. And they see this weird light. And, uh, and one of the guys is like, hey, you know, what is that? You guys see that? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Oh, cool. What is that? He goes, I don't know. And he grabs his flashlight. And he starts sending his signals with his flashlight. And he said the thing just reacted immediately and flew right over the top of these guys. And he goes, they were paddling as fast as they could trying to get back to the shore. And he made the funniest comment. He goes, he goes when it flew over me, he goes, at which point, my curiosity was fully satisfied. And <laughs> 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 I'll never forget that line. He's like, I was fully satisfied. I didn't need yeah. more confirmation. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Oh, my gosh. That yeah, funny, I, I've heard many of those accounts, many, many of those accounts, many of those accounts. No, I bet, man. Travis Walton case is phenomenal, the Snowflake, Arizona. That was in like the mid 70s, 74, 75. That case, you know, seven witnesses. You remember that case, right? There's a movie made about it called Fire in the Sky. Right. Anyway, right. a bunch of lumberjacks out there, and they, you know, right. middle of nowhere, uh, and they, they come across, you know, they're, they've been working late. They're under government contract. They're trying to get this job done before, you know, whatever. They're working late, and, you know, come across this UFO in the in the woods, and, you know, they were expecting it to kind of like fly off when when they came up to it. And they, were in a, they were in a truck that had four doors, and there were seven of them. And one of the guys, Travis Walton, gets out of the truck against the will of all the others. And this object is so close, it's like hovering at treetop level or lower. And it's like, you know, he could have hit it with a rock. And Travis Walton starts to run towards it, thinking it's going to shoot off, and he wants to get it. He wants to get a good look at it. And, um, you know, he gets closer over to it, and it's not going anywhere. And uh, he ends up – you know the story, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I no, I, I don't. I, I know of okay, the movie. So I, I, yeah. He's, like, literally crouched down below a log, and the object is right over him. And it's making these sounds almost like it's booting up and trying to, you know, get out of there. And he gets freaked out, and he – Everyone's in the truck is screaming at him to come back. And he decides to, like, get up from behind this log and try to make a dash back for the truck. And he gets in the way of, like, a beam or whatever, a power beam, and he gets thrown through the sky, through the air, really far back. And he hits the ground like a raggedy end doll, and he's done. And the driver just steps on on the gas pedal and just, like, leaves Travis for dead. And they're blocked driving down this dirt road sideways, just trying to get the hell out of there, thinking that they're next. And uh, there's one guy whose sister is dating Travis, and he's screaming at the driver, saying, you got, we can't leave him there. We can't leave him there. And they're like, yeah, I'm not going back. And so I guess the driver, half the people wanted to go back, the other half didn't. And the driver says, look, whoever doesn't want to go back, you guys can sit, sit here on the side of the road. I'm going back. But then they decided they didn't want to be alone. They all are going to stick together. So they turn around and go back to the location Travis gone, flying saucer gone. So long story short, they go into town. They go into town. They have to tell the authorities, yeah, uh, Travis got zapped by a flying saucer and he's gone. Well, you guys are all under arrest for homicide. <laughs> they start this manhunt thinking they're going to find a buried Travis Walton in the mountains, right? Dogs, helicopters, the whole world hears about it. You know, Travis is gone for five days, and they all pass lie detector tests. There's six guys. Uh-huh. 
saying exactly the same thing. Anyway, crazy, crazy story. And then Travis re- reemerges with five days of facial growth on the outskirts of town and confirms what had happened. He was totally traumatized. And um, but yeah, crazy story. It's a fire in the sky, Travis Walton. Fuck, I gotta see that. Do they does he do they show him on the UFO or do they or is he yes. just disappear? Yes, so they show, I have oh. I've had I've had extended conversations with Travis about that. So the movie is totally Whoa. accurate. The movie's totally accurate. He wakes up on a craft. But the part at the at the actual tail end of the movie which what he they they allegedly subjected him to that's not that's not what happened. Um, what happened okay. is he woke up on a spaceship. He woke up on a table in a room, and he was blurry-eyed. He was weak. He didn't know where he was. He was confused. And there were these little, like, creatures, and he thought they were doctors, you know, kind of. And, but as soon as his eyes, like, it's like he could focus his eyes a little better, he realized that he was on a, what, what, you know, like, a, like an operating table, and he was on his back. And there were these little beings, quintessential little critters with the big eyes and the, you know, little little guys. And he just wow. out. And he reached over and he grabbed some kind of tool that was on the table and he started swinging it at these little guys. And they all just scurried off. And he said that what, what shocked him was he hit one of them with his arm yeah. like like a side swipe. And he said, I couldn't believe how light the guy was so light. He was like, he just, right. he was like a super light. But anyway, they scurry out of the room. He goes, he leaves the room. And he gets into a hallway, and they went left. Or maybe they went right, and he went left. And he went down a narrow hallway, and he said it was like, like the inside of a of a of a aluminum tube that was seamless. It had it was all, just totally seamless, and didn't have uh, any uh, rivets or anything. Just totally seamless. And his shoulders it was so small that his shoulders were rubbing both sides, and he had a hard time breathing. He said the atmosphere was different, the air was different. He, he didn't know what. And he's running, going down this place, and he comes into a, a, a room on the left from the hallway, and he gets into this room, and there's a, all, nobody in it but a big captain's chair, like, like Star Trek movie. And then a, and he sits down in the chair, and he thinks, well, maybe, maybe this is a way out. And he sits in the chair, and he starts pushing some buttons on the chair, and then this holographic star chart, like 3D, uh, suddenly emerges, and it's moving. When, when he moves buttons on the chair, the whole thing's moving. He's like... Jesus, maybe I'm controlling a spaceship somewhere and I could crash this thing. Uh, you know, and then just at that moment, uh, two uh, very human-looking beings with tight-fitting suits and glass bubbles over their heads enter the room. And he's like ecstatic. Oh, my God, this is humans. You guys are here to save me. But they would Whoa. never talk to him. Very angelic-looking beings. And then they sort of escort him out. They never say anything to him. They escort him out. He walks down a ramp out of the craft, and he said, look, I don't know if I was in a hangar uh, on a different planet or if I was in a hangar, but it was a hangar, and there were all these different types of, of spaceships, different sizes, parked in this massive, massive hangar. And he came out, and they escorted him, and then he came to another couple, and one of them was a female, and they placed uh, sort of against his will. that He was kind of weak, and he couldn't really fight back, but they placed like some sort of cloth or something over his mouth, and then he woke up and he woke up five days later in a field, and that was it. That's what he remembers. But um, it's a remarkable story because of the, of the eyewitness accounts. And I sat down with her at a dinner table, and I said, I, you know, I'm so sorry to ask this of you, but could you tell me, you know, I'm sure you've been through this, 
but I'd love to hear it from you, you know, and, and it's a fascinating story. And again, it's, it's just one of those stories where there are so many witnesses that all passed lie detector tests, all seven of the guys. And, uh, and why on earth would they make something like that up when there's, I mean, they knew it was a small town where everybody knew everybody and they knew the authorities weren't going to believe them, but they told the truth anyway, you know, like they, they were literally under arrest for homicide because nobody believed them. Shit. I got to see that movie again. I, um, all right, I, 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 I got, um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, it's, it's tra- the Travis Walton encounter. I want to say it was Snowflake, Arizona, 1975, but I could be off by a year. I, um, we should wrap this up. This has been fascinating. I, I have, I have I'll, I'll wrap it up with one last story. How about that? Yep, and then, ready. Uh, okay, so I, I bring this one up because I had a witness. So um, it wasn't just me with no phone. And the, so, I, um, so I'm in uh, Atlanta, and I'm shooting uh, The Walking Dead. And... Um, it's uh, where everyone's staying at the same hotel, and um, it's like midnight, and I'm hanging out with this girl. Uh, she's on the show. She won't let me say her name. She wants to be the one that tells her side of this story because, you know, it's about fucking aliens. So she wants I to totally, keep her. I totally, I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. So so what happened was this: we're sitting there, we're 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 smoking. Uh, some pot. So, um, and uh, we're talking about this kind of stuff. You know, we're talking about UFOs and otherworldly stuff, you know, ghosts and stuff like that. And she says, she starts saying, you know, when I do uh, meditation, I'll often see images, you know, sacred geometry, stuff like that, and orbs. She says, oh, I'll see like these, these different orbs. And, um, I go, oh, interesting. And she opens her eyes after saying this and looks over my shoulder past me and goes, oh, my God. And I turn around, and there's a fucking orb floating there. Um, and it's blue-green, this, 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 it looked like a mini sun, you know, like a plasma orb. And um, just, I saw it. Just kind of zoom in, um, and it was just over the tree line. And there's a pool between us, and then the tree line, and then there's this fucking orb floating there. And it was almost as if it was like, oh, were you talking about me? <laughs> and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden it was there, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I look at her, and she looks at me, and she's like, are you seeing this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, hold on. Like, this is, uh, and she said, Dan, it it came from all the way out there at incredible speed. I was like, for, I was, from the time that it took for me to turn my head to see what she was looking at, she said it came from all the way out in fucking space. So it, then it starts playing like peekaboo, like it's going behind, it goes behind the tree line, and then we stand up, and then it kind of stands up. And then, and then, and then I think it just kind of drops below the tree line, and, and I think I hear it kind of, like plunk into the lake. There's like a lake behind there. I was like, maybe I think it went into the lake. That's what I, the last thing I remember thinking. And I just thought that um, that was so fascinating because it was it was like it was communicating with us. 
it was like yeah. it answered it answered her you know story in the moment mm-hmm. and it was it was almost mm-hmm. like oh here are some like-minded people that won't freak out if i show myself you know well it was you know i yeah i asked um the intellectual heavyweight on the planet um, about this phenomenon. And his response was, you know, nobody, anybody who says they know what's going on, they've got all the answers, you know they don't have all the answers. That's just, because nobody does as far as I'm concerned. Some people have more answers than others. But he said to me, I'll never forget it, to think of it this way, think of an omnipresent intelligence with the ability, the ability to manifest itself in a multitude of ways. Um, it reacts to thought. Uh, it's technological. It's nuts and bolts, but it's also psychic. And, um, and it's all around us at all times. And that really left an indelible impression on me because I listened to the different testimonies all around the world and the different manifestations of the phenomenon, you know, and, and, it, and it seems to be the only theory that fits all of the above. I'm not saying that's what it is, but that certainly um, accounts for most of the, just about all of it, I guess, that I've, that I've heard. But it's fascinating. It's, it's a really fascinating topic. And, you know, I think that Senator Reid said, you know, just because we don't understand something, it doesn't mean we need to run away from it. We should embrace it and we should study it and we should better understand it. And I think it's, it's, it's a topic that could unify all of us in these very divisive times. And I think it's of interest to the world, really. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to sound like, you know, hey, uh, kumbaya moment here or anything, you know. But, but it really is. I think it's, it's just one of those, uh, one of those potential realities that just forces us to look at the bigger picture and see ourselves or who we really are. You know, one people, one planet. I think it's a, it's a very exciting time right now. James, I want to thank you for, for coming on, and I'm sure you're talking about this nonstop now. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's catching on like wildfire. Um, Thank you for your time, man. I, I, you don't need me to say good luck. It's 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 already got a lot of great luck uh, going with it. And I think that oh, well, uh, you. Well, good luck stuff. anyway. I mean, I, yeah, I'm so excited to see what happens with it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, there's a lot of cool things that are coming down the pike. And uh, feel free to reach out to me. I don't know if you're on Facebook or any social media, or if you can get you want to get my email from Dan Farah. I'm super happy to talk to you about a few things offline at some point. Awesome. That would be amazing because I, you know, I write, I write a lot of dystopian sci-fi and um, I'm just also incredibly curious about this, this subject. So I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's really fascinating. Uh, Yeah. Isn't it fascinating? It's like, seriously, it's, it's, it's potentially the biggest story in modern history. And I get people when they say, you know, why is it that you do what you do, James? And I always ask, answer that with a question. And I say, well, you know, if I could get you for a moment just to suspend judgment and imagine hypothetically, if uh, there's tangible evidence that we're not alone, 
uh, how significant of a discovery would you give that? People say, oh, well, gosh, are you kidding me? That would be the most significant discovery of our time. And I say, well, I'm convinced it's happening. So that's why I do what I do. And, and I appreciate people like yourselves that, that reach out and are willing to have the courage to share their stories and, and to spread the word. I really do. I'm, man, I'm pretty convinced the way this year is going, I'm pretty convinced we're going to be seeing some uh, alien, major alien activity um, before <laughs> yeah. the year is out. If they're, if they're benevolent, you know, if, if, you know what I mean? If we're on the hey, brink man, of anything's of possible at this there. point. <laughs> anything's possible at this point. Anything. Thank you, James. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. My pleasure, man. Anytime. Bye. It's uh, one of my favorite topics.